Please turn to Matthew chapter 4. Today I'm going to talk about how we follow Jesus. Jesus called his 12 disciples to follow him, and he called many other people to follow him, and many made excuses when he called them and they didn't follow him, but there are many who made no excuses and they followed him. And we're going to look at five ways that people follow Jesus. So our text is going to be Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 through 25. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two two other brothers. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, And they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Let's pray again. Father, we pray that you would help us as we look to your word. Thank you for these instructions. Thank you for your spirit here with us, Lord. We confess that we need you. We need you even now as we look at your word that we would rightly handle it, that I would handle it rightly in my speaking and we would all handle it rightly in our thinking. That would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. So it's clear that our text is talking about following Jesus. Jesus preached and people were called to follow him and they followed him. There in verse 19, it says, he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Then in verse 20, they immediately left their nets and followed him. That was the first two disciples, Peter and Andrew. In verse 21, Jesus spoke to James and John and they were called. There in verse 22, it says that they followed him. And again, in verse 25, great multitudes followed him. I want to mention five ways that we follow Jesus. The first one is going to be that we follow him in repentance. It says there in the first verse of our text in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. What happened in this gospel before this? Well, before this, Jesus was baptized and then he was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And then he preached. And the first thing that we see that he preached is repentance. So we must deal with this issue of repentance. We're familiar with the word repentance. We know that it means to change one's mind or one's purpose. So right there we see that repentance has to do with change. Realizing repentance having to do with change means that as believers, we see that 
Jesus wants us to change. We recognize this fact. We need to change. And this has to do with every area of our lives. How we talk, what we do, how we think. It all needs to change. So every area of our lives needs to change. But the the doctrine of repentance, repentance specifically has to do with a change, not having to do with every area, but specifically to the inward part of the person, the person's mind. So repentance has to do with the inward, not the outward. You can clean up your foul language. You can stop spending time with certain people and stop doing certain things. And, and all that can be good, but all that could be not really biblical repentance according to what we read in the scriptures. Making certain outward changes falls short because our main problem is that we are spiritually dead. Our main problem is an inward problem, and biblical repentance has to do with that inward problem. You could imagine a coffin, a coffin made of the finest wood, decorated with beautiful flowers, and you can put gold trim on that coffin, you can put precious stones all on that coffin, but no matter what you do with the outside of the coffin, you cannot change the inside of it. And we realize that for a funeral, but when it comes to our spiritual deadness, we need the inside changed. Inside that coffin, no matter how beautiful it is, the dead person stays dead, no matter how beautiful that coffin is. And Jesus described the religion of the Pharisees as coffin religion. The coffin represents the person's outward effort to change. It says in Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said this. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So that's religion without Jesus. It's a beautiful coffin for your spiritual deadness. It doesn't save. It can't make you right with God. Whereas repentance, on the other hand, is an inward change that affects the outward part of our lives. Jesus said again in Matthew 23, Jesus said, You cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Then Jesus said, First cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside may be clean also. So there must first be an inward work in the person. We need an inward change before the whole person can be changed. Before our whole person can be changed, there must first be an inward We see this in the scriptures as being born again, having a new heart, repentance, and God does all of these things. We don't do them. But out of these, Jesus calls us to repent. We see this right here. Jesus calls people to repent. This is something that we must do. He calls us all to repent, everyone in this place, and he also commands us to do it. So let me give you three quick marks of repentance. If there is repentance in your life, first of all, you will see it. And I mentioned that one already. Jesus said about the cup and dish, first cleanse the inside, that the outside may be clean also. And even though repentance is an inward work, it affects the outward part of the person. So it's a whole work in the believer's life. So that's the first thing. If repentance is in your life, you will see it. Secondly, if repentance is in your life, you will feel it. Second Corinthians chapter 7 says that repentance comes with godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. This sorrow is, of course, because of the person's sin. The, the issue here is that it could be misunderstood. 
Because some people aren't as, as emotional as other people. Some people can understand that and they cried their way into the kingdom. But others aren't as emotional as others. But even those who are not so emotional, they can get emotional when it comes to certain things in their lives that they see as very valuable. Their money, their health, their family. They can get very emotional about those things. And I'll tell you, when God shows you your sin and deals with your sin, you will be made very sorrowful through it. So when it comes to repentance, you will see it and you will feel it. And third, it leads you to God. It will lead you to God. Repentance is a turning away from self and a turning to God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 21, it mentions repentance towards God. In Acts 26, verse 20, it says repent and turn to God. Repentance causes a distaste and a despising of sin and a desire and a delighting in God. I had this in my notes about this hymn and I didn't, I didn't tell anyone about it, but we just sung this hymn, My Jesus, My Jesus Fair. And repentance is really an experience of the hymn, My Jesus Fair, where it says, Abhorring all my sin, adoring only Him. So morality will lead you to religion, but repentance leads you to God. And that's why you can know that what you have is truly repentance, because it leads you to God. Whereas morality, only changes the person. He may become religious, but he doesn't really come to Jesus Christ in faith. He doesn't really come to a walk, an experiential walk with God. So second, we follow Jesus in evangelism. Look at verses 18 and 19 of our text. It says, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Instead of fishing for fish, they were now going to fish for men. Jesus calls us us to evangelism. Do you believe that every Christian is called to share the gospel? Do we all believe that? Some believe that, some don't. The fact is that some will share the gospel more than others, and some are more gifted than others, but I believe every Christian is called to do this in different ways. And I would say every Christian is called to do this directly and not just indirectly. For example, someone can say, well, I give to church and, and, and I pray for people. So so in that, that is my way of evangelism. But I think it we should do those things. But we all should, also should do it more directly where we use our mouths, we use our hands, we use our feet to take us to places to share the gospel, to tell other people about Jesus Christ. There are some who believe that you must be spiritually gifted in order, in order to evangelize. They think that, well, those who have that spiritual gift, well, they should do it. But when you look at the, when you look at evangelism, there isn't a spiritual gift of evangelism. There is an office of evangelist, but that doesn't mean that the rest of us aren't to concern ourselves with this great work. For example, there's a spiritual gift of faith, and those who have that gift will, will excel in that gift. But all believers are called to have faith. And there is a spiritual gift of giving. And those who have that gift are to excel in that gift. But all believers are called to give. So I would say that I don't think that just because Peter and Andrew were made fishers of men, that all believers are supposed to be fishers of men because they were made fishers of men. But there is a text that persuades me. It's in Second Corinthians chapter 5. 
In verse 17 of chapter 5, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Then the next verse says that God reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So those who have been reconciled have been given this ministry. And if you have been reconciled to God, if you are born again, if you have been saved, then you are also given this ministry. You have this holy responsibility to share your faith, to share the gospel with unbelievers. This is something for every believer to participate in. Evangelism is what every Christian would do. Especially, you know, how Jesus talked about you're the salt of the earth, the light of the world, in the Sermon on the Mount. When you look at that, I think the only response you can have is is a compulsion to share the gospel. That is how we are salt and light in the world, by sharing the gospel, by sharing truth with those who don't know it. So believers are fishers of men, like Peter and Andrew. And in order to fish, you need to know something about fish. You can talk to a fisherman about this. You need to know about the different kinds of fish. You need to know how to catch them. You need to know something about the tools that you use to catch them with. Fishing nets or poles, lures, and bait. And all that takes training. All that takes learning. And all that takes practice in fishing. And we must have a reliance and a faith upon the Lord Jesus in our fishing. Remember, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. So this isn't something that we just do on our own. This isn't something that we do by our own strength. Jesus is the one who makes us fishers of men. And if all this takes this learning and all this takes this experience and this practice, if it's that way with fishing for fish, well, how much is it that way for us to fish for men? Then also here at, at our church, there's, there's many gospel tracts that are provided for free. There's much literature that you can read and, and learn about evangelism, learn about the basics of the gospel, how you can share your faith with one another, with other people. So you don't have to put the bill on your own. But we're all called to evangelize. The third way is that we follow Jesus alone. We follow Jesus alone. Look at verses 21 and 22. There in verses 21 and 22 of our text, it says, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, this doesn't mean that they never saw their father again. And this doesn't mean that their father never believed in Jesus. I think he taught them well, and that's why they had a good response to Jesus. But when Jesus called them, they didn't tell Jesus to wait or that they were too busy. They didn't tell Jesus to come back later. James and John left the boat and their father and they followed Jesus. It sounds a lot like Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, where he says, Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. They were now going to spend the next three and a half years in full-time ministry and in, 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 in training for that. And then after that, they were going to continue on being apostles for the Lord. And when Jesus calls us to follow him in salvation, we need to have the same response, this same obedience that comes before all of our other loyalties, all of our other responsibilities, all of those who we are responsible for. The scriptures say, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands. 
children obey your parents. And all of those are true. And all of those things we need to be faithful in doing. But Jesus must come before all of our other loyalties. He must come first. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 and 38, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So we follow Jesus with or even without those who are closest to us. When Jesus calls us, we must go to him. In John Bunyan's allegory, Christian, who is a main character, he had to go to the celestial city and leave his family behind because they weren't willing to go with him. Of course, there was a part two where his wife eventually came, but when Christian was called, he was not to concern himself with that. He had to go. He had to follow Christ. And we must go. We must follow Christ when we are called. If you're called to follow Christ, you don't need an unbelieving family member's approval in order to follow him. Job's wife, we can remember, she gave him bad counsel. Lot's wife, remember her? She was in love with the world. Abigail's husband, remember, he was basically in love with himself. But they didn't follow the Lord like their spouses did. And if we think that Jesus is harsh here to place himself before those who are closest to us, if we think that this is a bit much for Jesus to put himself there before family, even to the leaving of family in order to follow him, if we think this is harsh, it's because we don't really know him. We don't really know who he is. But Jesus is our Savior from our sin. He is our defender against the devil, our comforter in sorrow, our helper in weakness, our mediator before the Father, our sacrifice for our sin, and our forgiver of our continued sin. He is our instructor in righteousness, our King who will never take advantage of us, and our Lord who sits on his throne. Jesus comes before all of our other loyalties. And he saves us one at a time. Sure, he might save you and, and save your spouse at the same time, or he might save you and, and save a close friend at the same time, but that's not the norm. When Jesus saves a sinner, he saves him or her one at a time. So we must come to him when he, when he calls us. We also see in our text here that there are three ways that we see Jesus ministering to people. There in verse 23. Three ways we can say that Jesus ministered to the people. It says Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So we have here basically two kinds of teaching. The first one, it says Jesus was teaching in their synagogues. This word teaching in the Greek is didasko. The Strong's Dictionary says this is to cause to learn or, or to instruct. It's like what it says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. It says, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. It's, it's teaching. It's reading it. It's understanding what you're reading. Also, applying it to yourself. And then Jesus was preaching. He was teaching and he was preaching. This word preaching is the word caruso. It means to herald, to proclaim a message publicly and with conviction and persuasion. We see these same two words used in the book of Acts. When Paul the Apostle was preaching in Acts 28 verse 31, referring to Paul 
preaching the kingdom of God and teaching. There are those two words. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and no one forbidding him. So those are basically two kinds of teaching. And then we also see what Jesus was doing. What else was he doing in this text? He was doing a lot of it. Healing. Jesus was healing. And this brings us to the fourth way that we follow Jesus Christ. We follow Jesus as God. Why did Jesus teach and preach? So that we would be saved, so that we would know who he is, so that we would know who the Father is, so we would know how we are to live as followers of Christ. Why did Jesus perform miracles? What Jesus healed, he performed miracles to show his deity, to show his glory. That's why he did this. No one healed like Jesus. No one performed miracles like Jesus. We see why Jesus did these miracles in the Gospel of John. I'm going to mention three passages from it. The first one is there in in John 2.11. It's after Jesus turned water into wine. And John 2.11 says, This beginning of signs... Notice these miracles are called signs. They pointed to something. They, they were showing something that we were that we needed to observe, that we needed to learn. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So these miracles, these signs, were how he manifested his glory, and what did it cause in the disciples and those who, who weren't there as judges saying, Prove something to me, you know, who those who were there as disciples, as believers. Those who wanted to learn from Christ, they believed in him. They believed in in him all the more because they saw the miracles that he did. It confirmed to them what they already knew about Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is God in the flesh. The next one I have is in John chapter 7, verse 31. It says, Many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man had done? The miracles showed that Jesus was the Christ. And then Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 38, Even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. So these miracles called signs pointed to his deity. They showed that Jesus wasn't just this great healer. He was God and the Son of God. And he is God and he is the Son of God. And Jesus wasn't like these fake healers today who heal sprained ankles or lower back pain or migraines or they do tricks on the street where they they make it look like they're extending one person's leg about an inch longer so it matches with the same length of the other person's leg. Jesus did real miracles, real organic miracles that no one could could do with some kind of magic trick. Those who were dead were, were raised from the dead. The paralyzed began walking. The blind, even though they were blind from from youth or even from birth, they saw real miracles. They showed Jesus' deity and they showed his glory. And really only a a handful of miracles would would have been sufficient for Jesus to show his deity. He could have did one miracle and then moved the guy off stage and then started preaching. Went to the next town, did one miracle and then moved the guy off and then started preaching. If that's all he was about was using the miracles to show that he was God, to validate his message. He didn't need to do as many miracles as he did. He could have done one here and one there. But we read here in our text in verse 23 that Jesus went about all Galilee and he healed all kinds of sickness 
and all kinds of disease among the people. In verse 24, they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. He healed them. A lot of miracles. A lot of people were being healed. So Jesus wasn't just showing his deity. Yes, he was doing that, but he wasn't just showing his deity because he, he, he could have shown his power in other ways. He could have shown his deity in other ways. We can imagine all of these superhero movies that are going on. These people trying to show their power and what they can do. That wasn't Jesus. He showed his deity and his glory by his miracles. But when we look at this, Jesus healed, he fed the hungry, he cast out demons from demon-possessed people. He also did this because he loved. Because he loved the people. Because he had pity upon them. Because he had compassion upon them. And he wanted to remove these afflictions from them. He cared for the people. This is who Jesus Christ is. He is God. He is glorious. He came down to man to relieve us of our afflictions. To relieve us from sin and the result of it, death. The pain that comes with it. The evil in the world. The darkness in the world. I can imagine why would people not follow him. But he healed because he had pity. He had compassion upon hurting people. So all of these points of how we follow Jesus applies to everyone. Believers and unbelievers, saved and lost. Everybody is called and commanded to follow Jesus Christ. It applies to everybody. But this last point that I have, it also applies to everyone. But I'll say if you are in here and, and you are uncertain and you don't know where you stand with Jesus, this last one will help you. And this is it. Here it's, it's here in our text. We must follow Jesus immediately. He calls us to follow him immediately. There in verse 20, they immediately left their nets and followed him. And verse 22 says, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Even the one who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew himself, this book that we're looking at where our text is taken from, the one who wrote this book, the book that Pastor Kyle is preaching on, even him, 2,000 years ago, he was there at his tax booth and Jesus passed by him. It's in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It has to do with when Matthew was called. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office and he said to him, follow me. So what did, what did Matthew do? I'm busy right now. Let me finish with this day. I have some important people that will be passing this way. Come, come later tonight. Maybe let's start fresh in the morning. Come in the morning and then I can give my undivided attention to you, Jesus. What did Matthew do? So he arose and followed him. He didn't tell Jesus to wait. He didn't tell Jesus that he was too busy or that he was not ready. Some people do that, you know. They, they acknowledge Jesus is who he says he is, but they'll say, Lord, I'm not ready. It's not enough to acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is. Everybody has a conscience. Everybody can look at creation. Everybody knows right and wrong. Everybody knows the stuff that the world is feeding us is, is a bunch of lies. It's not enough to acknowledge to Jesus that he is who he says he is. 
we must follow him when he calls us. And Matthew did that. He left the tax office and he followed him. That was an immediate response to Jesus' call. Dwight Moody, the famous evangelist, tells of a man he was trying to win to Christ for five years. And every year he would go back to this man and, and he would share the gospel with him again. He did this for five years. And the man would always respond, it has not struck me yet. Moody said, man, what do you mean? What has not struck you? Well, I am not going to become a Christian until it strikes me. And it has not struck me yet. I do not see it the way you see it. Moody replied, but don't you know you are a sinner? Don't you know that God wants you to repent? Yes, I know all of that, but it has not struck me yet. Moody said that that man died and that he never repented. I mentioned earlier that repentance is attended with godly sorrow, and, and I said how that could be misunderstood, but I believe that is a point to be made, especially when we see it in our lives. It confirms to us that what we're going through is the normal life of the believer. We're made sorrowful. It's in the Beatitudes as well. We're made sorrowful because of our sin, because we're still in the flesh, even though we know there is this newness in us because we're born-again believers. But I would say uh, on this point, Jesus calls us to follow him immediately. Don't be like that man that Moody was talking to. Don't wait for some feeling in order for you to follow Christ. You don't need anything to strike you in order for you to follow Jesus. If you're convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, if you're convinced of your need of Jesus Christ, then follow him. You don't need to wait for any kind of feeling. Follow Christ. That is how we follow him. That, that is what he deserves. He deserves us to follow him immediately. But let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths.